0: again, it is my pleasure to be here. Usually when I come, it's been a while, it's been almost a year. Uh, A couple of folks mentioned, I remember the last time you were here and I was waiting to hear some really golden nugget of truth I shared. And what they remembered was I had a cold and I could hardly speak. And uh, so I hope that'll be a little better this time around. But uh, I want to share with you a little bit of an update to begin our time here on what's going on at Hampton since I'm there a lot. And uh, I'm super excited about what God is doing. So two years ago, just about now, this time of year uh, in October of 2021, uh, all of the work had been finished, all of the decisions and uh, so on from Hampton Roads Baptist Church had been made and Coastal had adopted Hampton Roads Baptist Church in the fall of 2021. I began preaching there in January of 2022. And the first two Sundays we were there, there were 25 people in the building. Which, having come from all that God was doing at Gloucester, it was super exciting. We were really grateful for all that God had accomplished. But to be quite honest, it was just a little discouraging. But we have watched in these last couple of years as God has brought people to faith in Christ. He has Uh, allowed us the privilege of discipling people, of reaching new people in the community. Uh, By the grace of God, on November 19th at Family Sunday in Hampton, we're going to have the first baptism that I think has been held in that building in probably five or six years or more. Uh, So that's super exciting to me. We uh, anticipate uh, ordaining our shepherding elders at that campus in December. And uh, so God continues to do great things. We're really excited Uh, We're, instead of 25, now averaging more like 100 or so and bumping 125 or so pretty regularly. So I'm already sowing the seeds for two services down there. So uh, anyway, we're really, really excited about what God's doing. And that's not the only place that God is at work uh, in the Ministry of Coastal, right? We just planted our Williamsburg campus. That's going incredibly well. Uh, The first week or two, there was a, a young lady who came from William and Mary, Who said oh i really like this and the next week there were i think a dozen and there now have regularly 40 people coming from william and mary to our williamsburg campus Uh, so we're reaching into the campus it's a wonderful opportunity people are being reached there Uh, of course gloucester has their new building and there's super great deal of excitement there uh, God is doing wonderful things through the ministry of Coastal for His glory and for the expansion of His kingdom. And uh, I am really grateful to be part of what God is doing. Here's the, the catch. Many times when things are going well, that's when Satan wants to get in and find a way, right? Right? He wants to find a way to distract us or to discourage us or to dissuade us from our uh, appropriate plan, from the plan that God has called us to accomplish. And it is possible God could do that now. So it makes me actually happy that we see that here in Nehemiah. Here in Nehemiah 6, we have an opportunity to watch how Nehemiah and the people negotiate the distractions that could have stopped the work. We're calling this distraction and determination today. But first, I want to talk about the kind of distractions, the things that get us in a spot where we will just kind of get away from doing what God has called us to do. Now, that that could be as coastal as a whole, but that can certainly be in your own life, too. God has a calling on your life and has work for you to do, and a ministry for you to carry out, and it would be very easy for you to lose focus. That's the first temptation that he had, in fact. He was busy on the wall. Things were going great, and it would have been tempting to lose focus. Let me read the first four verses of Nehemiah 6. Now, when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab, we've heard these names many times now, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I would not set up the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together at HaKephirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. Now, let me just stop for a second. I don't know if that's actually how you say that town, but it doesn't matter because I said it with confidence, right? So if you're, if you're in your small group and you're called on to read and you have no idea how to say that word, just say it with confidence, okay? Nobody will know different. I sent messengers to them. Nehemiah said, I sent messengers to them. I'm doing a great work and cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner, This was a temptation to lose focus. Things were going really well. The wall is almost built. There are no more breaks in the wall. All they've got left to do is set the bars and the gates, which is a big deal because there are lots of those to go. But it's almost done. The work is almost complete. Their victory is within sight, and things are going well. Sometimes that's when Satan wants us that's when he can get something in there to get our focus off of what we're supposed to be doing it happened twice in the old testament that i recall one was in the life of david king david whom we are all well acquainted with when after he became king david had a season of virtually uninterrupted victory military victories everything was great The Jerusalem was being built, all of that. It was really going incredibly well. And he got to a season where he normally would have led his troops out to war. And the Bible tells us in the spring when the kings go out to war, David stayed home. He sent Joab, you got this. He sent his XO, you go take care of this. We're good. And he stayed home and chose the easier route. And one morning got up and went out on his balcony and saw a couple of houses over a young woman bathing herself and fell into a moral failure that was a horrible downfall for him personally, but affected the people over whom he was king. Because at a great season of victory, he lost focus. There's another man for whom that could have happened as well. His name was Joseph he was a great man, loved the Lord, was faithful to God, got sold by his brothers to Egypt. You remember his story, right, back in Genesis? And he, he was sold as a slave. But even as a slave, the Bible says, everything he touched was great. Everything he handled went really, really well. And people noticed there's something special about this guy. So Potiphar, One of the officials of the pharaoh of Egypt said, I need that guy in my house because everything he touches turns out great. And so he took him, and it wasn't long before Mrs. Potiphar looked at Joseph and said, that is one fine young man. And my husband is gone traveling all the time. And she literally threw herself at him and sought to convince him to be unfaithful to his commitment to God and to be sexually unfaithful. And he said... How can I do this great evil and sin against God? Joseph did not lose focus when the opportunity arose. It is easy for us to lose focus. Why do we lose focus? I think sometimes it's pride. I think sometimes we just think we got this. We're good. We got this figured out. We're okay. We can handle it. That happened to the Israelites. Remember, they went into the land of Canaan. They won at Jericho in this astonishing victory, marching around there seven times that last day. The walls fell over and they won. They went to the next couple of small cities and they said, oh, well, these, these are little cities. We can do this. And they came back defeated because they thought in their pride, we can handle this. Listen, Coastal, the worst possible thing we could do is look at all that God is doing through Coastal and begin to think, man, we're doing really well. If we ever forget how much we depend on God to accomplish His will for His glory, we will be in big, big trouble, right? We cannot lose focus. Sometimes it's just ease. Sometimes we just took a break. You take a break, you can lose focus. No, I'm not saying you should never take a break, but be careful. In times of ease, it's easy to lose focus. So, how did he respond to them? I am doing too great a work to come down. I cannot come down off this wall. Now, listen, we remember Nehemiah is like a really wealthy guy. He's he's whatever they get paid to do that cupbearer thing, he was he was doing well. Because he's got 150 people at his table for lunch every day, and he's paying for it out of his own pocket. He didn't even take the the money that the king would have offered to him. He's got plenty of money, but he is up there slinging mortar and picking up stones and building that wall with everybody else. He is just that kind of guy. And he says, why, I cannot come down. I'm doing too great a work. And four times in a row, they send him this nice... uh, Fancy portfolio with a letter in it. And come on, we want to have a meeting. We just want to talk. He knew otherwise, and he refused to lose focus. Secondly, there is the temptation to fear man. Because when the sealed letter didn't take effect, they decided to make up some stories about him. Beginning in verse 5, in the same way Sanballat, for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. Now, before I read on, let me tell you, the open letter just meant it wasn't in like a portfolio or a, a purse or a, some kind of pouch. It didn't, get, it didn't get put in something. You put something in a nice pouch to carry it and have it carried to an important person, to some peon that wasn't all that important. You just sent the piece of paper here. Just give it to him, let him read it. That's a very distinct purposeful decision on their part. Four times they sent him a letter the way they should have. The fifth time, well, if he's not going to listen, we're just going to send it open. And they said, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That's why you're building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem There is a king in Judah, and now the king will hear of these reports. So now come, let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For all they wanted, they they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work, and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands." The temptation to fear man. You know, I have come to hate that phrase, it has been said. Or, you know, the word on the street is, or, you know, somebody told me that. What what is the word we use for those kind of statements? Gossip. Can I just talk to you for a minute about gossip? Because that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to use gossip to generate in Nehemiah and the people, the fear of man. What will people think? I'm not so sure his motives are pure. There are several things about gossip that you ought to know. One, it rarely has a declared source. People are saying things. But we don't say what people are saying it, because it doesn't have a declared source. It normally involves exaggeration and inaccuracy. If there's any shred of truth to it, it is generally blown out of proportion. And it often includes assumptions about a person's motives. We do all recognize that we cannot actually read a person's heart, right? Because sometimes we talk like we can. I know what he's thinking. Oh, do you? Are you now the fourth member of the Trinity? How exactly is it work that you know what they're thinking? Yeah, well, I can tell from gossip. Destroys people, brings disunity to the church of God. And it happens by mouth. It happens in texts and emails. It happens over the phone. It even happens on social media. Gossip does not have to be false to be gossip, right? Have you ever heard someone start a sentence and say, they start to tell you something and then they say, well, I don't mean to gossip, but it's not really gossip because it's true. Gossip can be true. If it's hurtful, if it for some reason is not Helpful to a person or a situation or if I don't need to be repeating it It's gossip So I want to give you a couple of questions to think about when when you have someone talking to you and You're interacting with each other and you have a temptation to talk about something that you heard from somebody and To tell another somebody ask yourself this question. Am I willing to be quoted Am I willing to have this person I'm telling this to go to the person about whom I am speaking and say, David Wilson said. Or, if they're sharing something with you, of course, it's a prayer request, I understand, but they're sharing something with you, ask them, hey, can I quote you on that? Or better yet, tell them Hey, listen, thanks for sharing that with me. I'm going to go talk with whoever it is when we're done here. Would you be willing to come with me so we can talk directly to them instead of about them? Gossip is a major reason for disunity in the family of God. It's why that's one of the things we actually talk about at our We Are Coastal class. We talk about our commitment to one another, which includes, I will not gossip. I will work for unity. Unity doesn't mean we all have to agree, but it does mean we all have the same purpose, the same direction, the same focus, and we will not watch each other be torn down. Instead, as Ephesians 4.29 says, this is how our attitude should be. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth but only such as is good for building up fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Is what I'm saying going to be helpful? Okay, I know that was a, a little bit of a side issue, but man, it just seems like that's what they're trying to do, right? Man, people are going to hear about this. What's, what's Nehemiah's response? I love this. He finds his confidence in God and he simply says, that's not true. What you're saying isn't true. He found his security in God. When your security and you find your significance in Christ, you don't have to have the affirmation of other people to say, oh, I know this isn't true about you. The people who matter won't believe it. The people who are going to gossip are going to gossip. Sometimes you have to rest in Christ and just know that's simply not true. But he also put the blame where it belonged. You are making this up in your own mind. That is just not true. You are inventing it. And then he goes to God in prayer, right? Oh, God, strengthen my hands. All I wanted to do was get him to slow down, stop working at this so hard. Oh, God, strengthen my hands. Third temptation. Temptation to lose focus. The temptation to fear man. And then the temptation to not trust in God. 10 to 14, interesting little situation. Now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they're coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live, I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. And he prays again, remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess, Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. The temptation not to trust in God. This plan seems really faulty from the beginning. This guy is disabled. He can't go see Nehemiah, so he says, come to my house. And the first thing he says is, oh, hey, let's go to the temple. You would think the answer would have been, well, I thought you couldn't go out. But regardless, he wants to go to the temple. Now, he should not have gone to the temple for several reasons. And he responds to him after he feigns this interest. I'm just concerned for your best interest. They're trying to kill you, Nehemiah. Nehemiah was not a priest. He had no business. This is into the temple, into the inner parts of the temple is the way it's described. We're not talking about going to the courtyard. We're going to the inner parts of the temple. That's where the priests belong. Nehemiah was not a priest. Now listen, that's a lesson in humility to me. Nehemiah is the man, right? From the human vantage point in this story, Nehemiah is the man. He's running the show. He knows what needs to be done. He's got it figured out. He's got people engaged and involved. He is the man. But he's not a priest, and he has no business in the temple, and he knows that. Everybody has boundaries. He's a humble man of God. And he says, how could somebody in my position just quit and run and hide? I have a responsible position. I cannot let that be my legacy. And how can somebody like me, who is not a priest, go in the temple? I'm not allowed in there. I should die if I go in there. And his enemies knew it, right? They did that because they wanted to sully his reputation. He would have been sinning against God. So there are a lot of distractions that can cause us to cease the work that God has given to us. But. Nehemiah is determined, and determination finishes the job. He probably had it on a plaque in his office somewhere when when verse 15 got written down, right? So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month, Elul, in 52 days. 52 days they rebuilt the whole wall of Jerusalem. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Determination finishes the job. The wall was completed in, what is that, six weeks? Really record time, right? An incredible feat of engineering and organization and all of the stuff that had to go into that process this thing was falling down and it was accomplished by people many of whom were not builders they didn't know what they were doing in building a wall a few weeks ago we saw some of the people listed like a dad and his girls were there some perfumers were working on the the wall uh, next, in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk. There were singers. There was the prayer team leader was there working. I mean, everybody was involved in working on this wall, and a lot of them didn't know what to do except put that rock there, right? They knew how to serve. And all of the people in the nations around them were now in awe. Now, here's an interesting thing to think about. When this first started, it was Sanballat and Geshem and these, you know, these couple of guys. And as the story has progressed, the account in Nehemiah, we have watched as they brought in more and more people on this thing. They got this group over here, and they got another group down on the south, and another group up north, and a group on the west and east, and they have now surrounded Jerusalem with people who are ready to hinder this work, to stop it completely if possible. More and more people have been brought in. They are surrounded by people who think we're going to stop this thing from happening. And now, all of those people who Tobiah and Sanballat and Geshem have collected are now standing in awe of God because they realize this is a task being done and it had to be the hand of God. The wall is completed. The nations stood in awe. They fell in their own estimation that's a really good thing, right? We could all afford to fall in our own estimation a little bit. Paul said in Philippians 1.12 that what had happened to me, he said, has really served for the advancement of the gospel. Listen, we need not worry. When more and more people are hearing the negative things, Because when God shows up and does what only God can do, all those same people are going to stand in awe and see what God has done. Now I want to spend our last few minutes together talking about, um, I think, a really important connection here. Under this title, the job isn't done. Now the wall was complete. But that wasn't the end of the job, right? The job was the kingdom of God. The job has always been the kingdom of God. God is building and calling out a people for his own name, and that has always been what God has been doing. From the first call of Abraham till he came to the nation of Israel and into the prophets and all of these things, and throughout, they were always to be a light to the nations. And the job still isn't done. And this is where we come in. Because the wall was complete, but the job wasn't done. The wall was finished. The gates were up. The people could come and dwell securely inside Jerusalem. But the job wasn't complete. William Carey is famous for once having said, Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. It was in the context of a sermon that was challenging people. Why aren't we giving of ourselves completely to the service of God? In fact, he worded it this way. He wondered, surely it is worthwhile to lay ourselves out with all our might in promoting the cause and kingdom of Christ. The cause and kingdom of Christ, it's what we're here for. The job is still not done. So here's what it's going to look like at the end. I want to start there, and then I want to back up. Because there is coming a day when it's all going to be done. Not just the wall complete, but it's all going to be done, and it's going to look like this. John wrote it in the book of the Revelation in chapter 7. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice. I know we're not allowed to do that in church, but I'm going to give you a minute to do it here in just a second. Crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. That's what it's going to be like at the end when the job is done. And until the job is done, that's where we come in. Do you worry sometimes? Man, are we going to be able to do this? Remember the the account partway back in Nehemiah when all those guys were looking at him and saying, what in the world are these feeble people doing? What do they think they're doing? If a fox comes up, he would kick that wall and it'll fall over. You know, most of what they said was probably true. Most of them didn't know what they were doing, but they were serving with all of their heart. I don't have to know everything to know where I'm to serve. No. There was an occasion when Jesus was here on earth, and he was talking to his disciples, and he was getting them to zero in on what the real plan was. And he said to them, who do people say that I am? And they, you know, well, we've heard some people say you're Elijah or one of the prophets. And then he looked at them and he said, but who do you say that I am? good old Peter, (laughs) piped up and replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered, You are Peter. Rather, he answered, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, this confession of the truth about who Jesus is, I will build my church... And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Am I talking to anybody? I can't quite see with the lights. The gates of hell cannot stop what Jesus is doing in building his church. Amen? And we get to be part of that. We get to be in on finishing the job. We're just in our corner of the harvest. They were working on the walls in Jerusalem. We're doing something in our corner of the harvest field, but it's about the kingdom of God, right? Pastor Marcus shared a a connection that I want to share with you this morning that is so powerful to me between this section in Nehemiah and an occasion in the life during the death, if you will, of Jesus. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 40, the mockers around the cross. were saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God, let God deliver him now if he desires him for, he said, I'm the son of God. Where have we heard that before? Hey, Nehemiah, come down off that wall. Let's talk. And these chief priests said to Jesus, come on down off that cross. We'll believe in you. Really, we will. But Jesus didn't lose focus. His face was set toward Jerusalem, and he will follow through on completing the work of redemption. He would not come down. Because he had too important a work to do. Until John 19 came after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, and so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, "It." is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The work of redemption was finished. It was complete. But the job is still not done. God is still gathering a people for his own name and fame and glory from every tribe and tongue and nation and language. And we're part of that. So, man, I want to remind you in a few thoughts to take with you. First thing is this. It's about God's kingdom. I know you're hearing a a lot about campuses and buildings and and endowments and all this kind of stuff. Listen, I, I am in on those conversations here, and I'm talking to the men to whom God has given that vision, and I tell you, nobody wants to be the king. This is about the kingdom of God. And whether God gives us 8 or 10 or 30 campuses, it's not about us, and we all know that. This is about the kingdom of God, and we are going to do everything within our power to expand the kingdom of God in the corner of the harvest that he's planted us in. I hope you're on board, and so the next question is for you. What are you attempting for God? I don't mean that as a criticism. I'm saying if we know that the work of God is to gather people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language, and we know that what we're trying to do together here is part of that, and what God has given you in your own personal life is part of that, what are you attempting? Do you expect God to do great things? Or are you content with what he's already done? That's good enough. Look how good God has been. God has been amazing, incredible, beyond anything we could ask or think, but he's not done. What are you attempting for God? And to those of you who may be a little weary, because you are working hard, you are going at it, you're serving multiple times on multiple weeks, don't give up. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Don't give up. God's not done yet. There will be time to rest. There will be time to enjoy eternity in the kingdom of God, fellowshipping with people from all those groups, tribes, tongue, nation, languages, from all history as we celebrate together and worship the king, but between now and then, the job's not done. So let's give it our all. What would prohibit us from giving everything of ourselves to the service of Jesus and his kingdom? Listen, we're going to pray. I'm going to pray here in a minute. The worship team's going to come back. We're going to sing on our way out. Man, I want to encourage you. We're going to have prayer team members down here at the front. Come talk to them. Maybe you've got some, something you've got to figure out. Maybe you found yourself trapped in that gossip thing. Or maybe you just have been trying to make a decision. I know I should be serving over here or doing this, but I'm having a hard time or whatever it is. They would love to pray with you about it. And can I, can I tell you this before we sing? Fundamentally, this is about the gospel. That great work that Jesus was doing that he could not come down off of the cross was the redemption of mankind. We all are sinners. I know that's no news to you. If you're honest with yourself, I know you realize I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect, right? That's the problem. Jesus came and lived the perfect life none of us could ever live. And so we acknowledge that we are imperfect, that we are sinful. And we come to Christ and we recognize the gospel that Jesus came and he died on the cross, bearing the penalty for sin. He was buried and on the third day he came back to life again, actually came back to life and walked around and talked to people, and then went back to heaven and he said, I'm coming back again. What we do is turn from our sin believe in the gospel, and receive Christ. And if you've never done that, I want to plead with you. We care for you. That's why we tell you that message. We are all in the same boat. We completely get what it means to be a sinner. And we're still struggling along, learning to, to grow away from the sin that has beset us. But, man, you want to be right in the sight of God, you've got to take on the righteousness of Jesus. Otherwise, there is no way. So you do that by repenting of your sin, believing in the gospel, receiving Christ. If you've never done that, maybe that's what you need to do. Come on up here. I'll be hanging out up front. These guys are down here. Let us talk to you. Let us show you from the scriptures how you can know your sins are forgiven. You're on your way to heaven. You're right with God. God's doing great stuff, right? Let's not lose focus. Let's not get concerned about what everybody else thinks. Let's not do any of those things. Let's be determined to finish what God has called us to do and not give up until it's done or he calls us home. Father in heaven, I'm so grateful for the example of Nehemiah and others in the scripture like him who knew that You had your hand on them and had a calling in their life, and they were just not going to quit. They were not going to give up. Lord, of all of the people we look at in the scriptures, we're grateful for Jesus, who set his face like a flint, the Bible says, toward Jerusalem, and he would not turn away. Nevertheless, he said, not my will, Father, but yours be done. And he endured the cross and paid for sin and died for us. Oh, Father, I pray that we would be people who would give our all for him, not to try and pay him back, but simply because we're so grateful. So bless us as we sing, bless us as we go today. Would you honor yourself in our lives, for we ask in Jesus' name, amen.